Welcome to Midlife Mastery. This is Brock Edwards, and I'm really excited for today's guest. We have Allison Jacobson, who is the host of Midlife Mavericks. She is a coach for midlife women and author of a new book called Daily Inspiration for Midlife Women, A Guide to Peace, Joy, Confidence, and Abundance. And I'm very excited to have Allison on as a guest because we share a very similar view of the power and excitement and joy of midlife. And so in this conversation, we discuss getting past self-doubt, taking on new challenges. So she uses the example of when she ran her first marathon at 58 and publishing her book. We talk about living confidently, reconnecting with who we used to be before life got in the way and we, we kind of forgot who that person was. We talk about approaching new things with a sense of wonder and a sense of vulnerability, the fear of not being enough and having the courage to be vulnerable and live an imperfect life. So Allison's expertise is with women, but I got to say, everything we discussed applies to men too. And so you can find out more about her at her website, which is allison-jacobson.com. But if you are ready to play bigger in midlife, well, let's get started. All right. So Allison, thank you for being on Midlife Mastery. Excited to have you on because there's just a lot of great parallels between what we're doing here. And you've got at least three things going on. So a coach, an author, a podcaster. So give us a little bit of details around what is your focus? How do you introduce yourself to people? Thank you, Brock. So my elevator speech is I am here to get midlife women past their self-doubt and fear so that they can live lives confidently and courageously in the second chapter. And that's what it's all about, right? Remembering who you were when you were in your 20s and your 30s, and then you took on the role of wife and mom and caregiver, and maybe you left your job and all of those dreams that you had. I'm there to help you remember them and say it's still possible and get past that self-doubt, get past those limiting beliefs, because you can live lives that are just awesome. All right. So I, I love that message. You know, longtime listeners know that that echoes a lot of what we talk about here of just, I think a lot of people go through this. You just, you start living life. You know, you get the mortgage and the minivan or SUV or whatever, and you're dealing with kids, raising kids, they get all your focus and maybe you've got some hobbies or whatever, but a lot of times dreams get kind of pushed aside or replaced or forgotten. And yet one of the things I really like about midlife is you're kind of at that stage where maybe the kids are out of the house or starting to get out of the house. You might have a little bit more time. Dynamics change in you know, you're not building a career, you're solidly into your career now. And then I think a lot of people have this sense of, I don't know if loss is the right word, but just who am I now, I guess, is more of more of it. So I mean, I just want to ask, how do we start finding that reconnecting with either who we used to be before we forgot or who we want to be now that we have this chance? Well, it is that searching, right? And I, I think that, and I see this so much. So my youngest is a senior in high school and she's going off and I'm totally excited for her and I'm excited for me because this brings a new chapter to my life. But I see so many women online who are so upset that their child is leaving and they're not going to be around. And it's like, no, this is a, this is what is supposed to happen in life, right? You're supposed to launch them and then it's supposed to be your time. And I think that if people come up short, 
it happens so quickly. And all of a sudden they're staring it in the mirror and saying, oh my gosh, now what about me? And one of the things I talk to my clients about is that wonderment that needs to come back, right? That when you were a kid of, I could do anything I want. I could be a model. I could be an astronaut. What is that? What if? What is that dream you want to have? And I think, you know, it's it's sad and it's telling that very often people can tell you what they don't want in life. But when you stop and ask them, what would make you happy? They're not sure. And you can't get what you don't know you want. So, you know, we really have to start off with what is that perfect life for you? Where where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the mountains? Do you see yourself at the beach? What do you want out of life? And then let's start going after it. And I think for so many women, they left their careers to be mom. And now they're saying, well, I, you know, what can I do? I don't have any skills. Well, I'm sorry, but being a mom is so many careers wrapped up in one. You absolutely can do that. So it's bringing back that sense of wonder, that sense of what if, what is the possibility and dreaming and having fun about it? Well, I think that is a tough question for a lot of people. You know, what, what do you want to do? You know, in, in some case, we may have never thought through it or life shifted before we got too far in, into thinking about it and haven't thought about it for, you know, a couple of decades. And then I wonder, are there others who are, are almost even afraid to, to think about what they want, to vocalize what they want? Oh my God, a hundred percent. So, you know, a lot of the women I work with, they're in marriages they're not necessarily happy with, but they have, they are so attached because they're afraid of one, I'm too old to meet someone Two, I'm too old to go back to work. I don't have the skills. And they feel trapped. They feel absolutely trapped that they don't have what it takes to survive on their own. And that's one of the things we work on is just dispelling those limiting beliefs that you are a powerful, confident, strong woman. You can manage your finances on your own. You don't need your husband to do it. You can have a job. These are all these things you can do, but you're right. I mean, a lot of people are willing to live these lives of quiet desperation and stay in a, in a in a relationship that's no longer making them happy. And that doesn't do anyone any good. Well, you know, at this life stage, at least I, speaking for myself, I something that I never really had before was a sense of mortality. And, you know, the end is not near. I get that. But when I was in my 20s and 30s, yeah. life was infinite. I, I could take risks and do things and recover. And now at this age, well, there's just less time to recover. And especially if I want to retire or anything like that. So on one hand, time feels really short, but on the other hand, like I'm 52 in this world, 72 is still young. I've got a good 20 years before I even really start thinking about slowing down. And, and I've had guests on who are, you know, are planning to hit a hundred and which when you think about it, so another 50 years, that's like, you know, a couple of careers worth ahead of me, ahead of anyone at, at the, in this age group. And, and so I guess I, I guess I understand the sense of, I don't want to take a risk, but on the other hand, there's still a lot of life to be lived if you're not living the life you want to live. Right. I mean, it's, it's the, why the hell not? So I, before we went on, I told you last year, I ran the New York City Marathon. Now I've never, I'm not a runner. I never ran in my life. I could run barely a mile, but you know, I've gone to the marathon. I live in New York City. It's really cool. 
And I said, I'm going to do it next year. Or no, I at that time, I said, I'm going to do it when I'm 60. And I'm like, you know what? That's a cop out. That's four years from now. If I'm not going to do it now, I'm not going to do it then. And so I decided I was going to run the New York City Marathon. And I started training. And I was like, of course I can do this. There's no reason I can't. And when you finally start stacking up those little wins and those little goals, you start understanding you could do anything the hell you want. Well, you know, one of the things I, I, we've talked about with a lot of guests is when we're young, we're, we're it feels like we're less afraid of failure, less afraid of taking on something new, maybe even looking foolish as adults. I don't know. It's like we feel like we, we have to be experts, like we can't not know how to do something. And, and maybe that's a parent role. I, I don't know what it is, but I do get the sense that there is a lot of trepidation about taking on new challenges just because you know, you don't want to look like the, the, the new person. Right. And, and so tell us, like, going from I'm not a runner to what the heck will run a marathon. I mean, there had to be kind of a, <laughs> a little bit of that. What am I doing? How do I do? Do I look foolish? What is this? How did you get? How did you make that leap? I have to tell you, I, I, I approached it with a sense of what. Well, first of all, my husband, I went home and I said, I'm going to run the New York City Marathon. He's like, oh, I don't know, honey. That's a lot. And I said, watch me. Like that's all it took was just somebody <laughs> challenge me. But then I I approached it and I I approached everything I do in life this way with a sense of wonderment and with a sense of vulnerability and humility that I don't know what I'm doing. So when I first started I didn't know what I was doing. And everybody's like, well, what training program are you doing? I said, I'm doing the Forrest Gump training program. I'm just (laughs) running. I don't know. And so I would start. Now, what I can tell you is that I ran on the team First Candle. They are a charity partner of the New York City Marathon that addresses sudden infant death syndrome. And my son, Connor, died 25 years ago from SIDS. So I was doing this in his honor. I was also doing it in memory of one of my dearest friends who passed away the year before. And getting back to that feeling of mortality, it's like, I'm doing everything I can right now. So I created this picture, this eight by 10 that I would put on the treadmill. And it was Connor on one side. It was my friend Barb on the other. And it was this kick-ass woman who was running. And I'm like, I can do that. And I literally just started doing that. And then I started following a couple of Instagram. And I, like I said, I came about it from a sense of humility of, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to follow what everybody says. But then the limiting beliefs kicked in and I would be running outside and I'd be passing people. And I would think, wow, he's a real serious runner. She's a real serious runner. Like they looked like runners. And one of my friends said, Allison, you just ran seven miles you know, you're, you are a runner now. And it it didn't dawn on me that I could call myself a runner. I felt, you know, this imposter syndrome kick in that I, I was doing, you know, and, and even to the moment I crossed the finish line, I don't know if you can see it in the back, I've got my medal hanging on my wall. I was still saying, I don't know if I'm a runner and it, it took a while. So I think you're right. We get to a certain age where we feel like we have to know everything. And the biggest thing is to come about life and everything you do with a sense of humility, vulnerability, and wonder. And be willing to ask for that help. Be vulnerable enough to say, I don't know. Help me out. Let me learn from you. And that's when you start growing. 
Well, you know, one of the things you just touched on there was was identity. And I, I'm fascinated by identity because it changes how we think about ourselves, right? You know, the idea of, well, I don't know if I can call myself a runner yet. You know, I'm sure I just finished a marathon, but I, I don't know. And especially for something like running where you don't have to like pass a test or anything. You like, like you can just call yourself a runner. No, no one's going to fact check you on it. But I, I remember years and years ago, so I, I always hated running. And when my daughter was born, I really... I, I just switched to running from cycling because I could go ride my bicycle for two hours or run for 30 minutes and get about the same level of workout. And so I switched to running. But I remember having to consciously focus on this identity thing of, you know, because Brock, the non-runner, just wanted to stay in bed. But so I, so I had to think about, well, what would a runner do? Well, runners run. Well, I'm a runner. All right. So I'm going to get up and run. And I, I don't know. I, I just think there's something so powerful there that either whether we do it intentionally on the front end or just as we start doing things over time, we start taking on that identity of, yeah, this is something I can do. You know, I could, I could start a business. I could be an entrepreneur. You know, I, I could go back to school, What whatever it is in this midlife shift. I don't know. I think one of the scary things is taking on the new identity because we don't think of ourselves that way and don't even realize that yeah, we can, we will, you know, we'll do it. So uh, that's more observation than question there. So congratulations on finishing the marathon. Thank you. Thank you. It was the most incredible experience of my life because I, I take on a lot of goals in, in my business life and my personal life, but I've never been a true athlete. And so to take on this and, and so I turned 57 two weeks before the New York City Marathon. So I'm like, okay, I was 57 and I finished the New York City Marathon. So it just was something that, once again, gave me that reinforcement. But, you know, going back to what you said about identity, it's so true. Like, I have so many women I work with who, once again, aren't in the workforce, are going back to the workforce. And I had this one woman who... Her home was beautiful. And as a hobby, she would help her friends decorate their home. And she wanted to be an interior decorator. And I said, you realize you're doing that already. She's like, well, but that's just friends. And I said, okay, here's the first step. I want you to create business cards that say you're an interior designer. And then I want you to go to a party. And I want you to introduce yourself to three people as, hi, I'm an interior designer. I said, that's how you start your job. It's it's embodying that. But you're right. Like, we're so afraid to say who we are because of feeling judged or inferior. And there's where the self-doubt comes in. It's incredible. So I I love that approach that that you, you know, I'll use the word pushed, you encouraged, got got her to take on that challenge of really being confronted with having to think about yourself differently to, to introduce yourself. And so how did that work for her? She's an interior designer now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and 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 it is it's those small steps right like you just sometimes you just take that jump off the diving board and you're going to pray to god that there's water under there but sometimes you have to step in and oftentimes when we have that self-doubt we just have to take those little steps and get those little wins and it's amazing well you know you know some of the advice that that i'd heard before i started podcasting which actually really helped with it is the idea that if you're not embarrassed by your first efforts later on you waited too long to get started amen to that right it's so yeah. true yeah you, you you no one's going to start an expert and, and you you've got to start somewhere and that somewhere is probably you know right where you are today Right. Well, so very funny. I've never shared this story, but I, my business partner and I have been together now for 15 years and 
she, like literally my, my company's evolved. I started out working with child safety because my son died. And then we, I went into special needs and then I've evolved into family safety and now working with women. But the entire time we would learn as we go, right? Like she taught herself HTML. We taught ourselves so much. And we always think about, and this is dating myself, the, the episode of I Love Lucy, where they're in the chocolate factory and the chocolate's just keep coming out. And it's like, you're going to figure out what to do to keep those chocolates keep coming. And that's, that's always us. We're like, okay, the chocolate line is going faster, but it's true. You just have to keep going and you figure it out as you go. Well, so it, it, so you just had a book come out a few, few months ago, and now I didn't ask yet, but first-time author, so first-time books come first out? First-time author. So the book is Daily Inspirations for Midlife Women, A Guide to Peace, Joy, Confidence, and Abundance, and it is on available on Amazon. And it is there's another book in me, but this was the first one to come out because this is just basically a collection of probably, I'd say, 85% original quotes of me that I have just to motivate women, inspire women every time they wake up in the morning, and then probably 15% of other quotes out there. But, you know, especially for women, it's so hard for us, Brock, when we wake up in the morning and we look in that mirror and think, I'm not enough, whether that is emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever that is. And it's so hard for us to believe in midlife we still are enough. And so that's why I wrote this. Every time I would put out a quote on Instagram, I'd have people saying to me, thank you. I needed to hear that this morning. And so often we don't get that in our personal lives. So this book was for me to, as a gift to women in midlife to say, you're rocking, you are awesome. And so that's, that's why I wrote it. So I love that. What is the fear? And I know it doesn't apply to everyone, but you mentioned the feeling of not being enough. What's the underlying fear there? Oh, God. And you know what? I I think so much of it has to do with social media and just in general, the world of women being forgotten. I mean, Mm. look, you know, men have it too, but in politics, in entertainment, men aren't judged like women are about their looks and their appearance and have they gained 10 pounds and all of that. And, you know, if a woman is too confident, then she's a bitch or she's shrill. And so whatever we do, it feels like it's, we're not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. And then that is amplified on social media when everybody's curating their perfect vacations and their perfect kids. I have a dear friend right now whose daughter is struggling, struggling mightily. And she feels like she did something wrong because she sees all these other women online talking about their kids getting into these great colleges. And so we are bombarded with the notion that we are not enough. We haven't done enough. We haven't accomplished enough. And oh my God, I screwed up my life and my kids' lives. And that's where the fear comes in for women that we are not enough. So many questions. Sorry. You you know, that's just, it's so for, yeah, I'm kind of hung up there because that is, well, one, untrue. and. Yet it it is what's being faced, and, and and so how do we how do women take back that narrative? You know, I I think it's 
I really do feel like it's happening more and more. And I talked about this on my podcast that more women are coming out and saying, I am enough. I mean, look at Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis is very happy showing who she is and what she looks like. And we need to have that more. I think even, you know, if you if you have kids, I'm sure you know the Jack song about Victoria's Secret. I think that more and more we are pulling back the curtain on what is real and what is not. And being a size 10 is normal. It's not normal to be a size double zero and it's okay. And I think that the more that we can, I I tell women all the time, start being more particular about what hashtags, what people you follow on social media. If it is all these women that are talking about makeup and anti-aging, stop it. Look at things that are inspirational, motivational, things that you care about deeply and truly. And that's how we start feeling better about ourselves because we we can't keep looking at what's being fed to us by the media and by our friends because our friends are scared too. And that gets back to the vulnerability, right? Like I went through a horrific divorce. I was, I was the primary breadwinner. And then unfortunately, when I went through my divorce, it took every dime from me to get this divorce. And I had to declare bankruptcy. And I live in a very affluent area where you don't, you don't talk about that. Like it's the McMansions and all of that. And at some point I was like, screw it. I'm talking about this. And I started opening up about the realities. And all of a sudden women were like, I'm like that too. I can't believe you're admitting it. And as soon as somebody cracks that door open, I mean, that's what happened with the Me Too movement, right? Somebody cracked that door open and it just takes a few people to start feeling it's okay to talk about how I feel. It's okay if I have gray hair. It's okay. We can be okay together, but it takes that collective thought and action. Yeah, I can cer- certainly see that the, the the social fear not not only, not only worried about not living up to whatever is being presented by others, but also the concern that you're being seen as not living up right. to to that standard. And isn't that an interesting dynamic? And I know we all experience this because we are all attracted to, drawn to, authentic people, mm-hmm. vulnerable people. We see the strength. We see the power. Those are the people we want to be around and real people. And and yet, <laughs> even though we know that those are the people that we're attracted to, that we would want to be around, hang out with, talk to, you know, we, we all struggle with how much of me can I really show? How, how much before I'm I'm judged or found out or yeah. whatever, whatever our particular concern is. And yet... And, and that's kind of the essence of this whole Middle Age thing that we're talking about. Like even taking on new hobbies can be scary because we don't want to be seen as kind of the, the newbie. And, and there's like no risk to taking on a new hobby. Like who cares? And But I do think we get better in midlife about this. Like I look at my my daughters who are 20 and 17 and the the drama and the crisis of, you know, the perfect picture and feeling great and not feeling stupid. And I think at, at some point, at least for me, I got to the point where I was like, I don't care, right? I think that happened a lot also <laughs> with COVID. Like before COVID go out without makeup on and now I had a mask on, it didn't matter. And so now I'm walking around without makeup on and I don't care anymore. It's okay. And so I, I think that happened. But but yeah, getting and I think it's so important. I was so glad we connected, right? Because 
to find those people that are truly authentic, that you can be yourself and establish these relationships. That's what it's about. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. In fact, you, you mean talk about the curated image on social media. I, I just remember I, I had a guest agree to do a podcast with me once because he went through my social media trying to find out who I was about. And, you know, I had pictures of like my lawnmower under 18 inches of grass after I got back from vacation. And yeah, it was just, it was just real. It is, it was the most non-curated life. It was just random stuff, but yeah, you know, there's, I don't know, there's just so much power there, I think, to being comfortable with that imperfection. And, you know, we, we've been talking actually before we started recording a, a previous podcast that I did, which is on hiatus called Imperfect Action, really came from a quote that I did for myself, which, which just a maxim of imperfect action meets perfect inaction. Mm-hmm. You know, doing something beats not doing anything, but not doing it perfectly. You know, I'm, I'm semi-reformed perfectionist and it's easy for me to get hung up on, you know, in my mind until I do it, it's perfect, but doing it makes it, you know, that's when the, the, the perfection falls apart. And so, so how do you overcome that? I'm curious. Yeah. So, so several things, one is just life slapping you enough times to realize you're just getting in your own way. And then there, there's other things like I named it imperfect action because in part to remind me, just get it out there. Stop worrying about what other people think. Stop worrying about what you think about it and just get it out there. And I had a built-in excuse, right? Like it's called imperfect action. Like no one's going to hold me to perfection. Years before that, I did a blog called Fool with a Plan. Love it. From one of my favorite quotes, T. Boone Pickens, a fool with a plan can beat a genius with no plan. Yeah. And same, same thing. Like no one is going to worry about me being the unquestioned expert when fool is in the title of the blog, right? <laughs> like me, especially. But I, like, I really truly believe in my heart. People don't want to be around perfect people because it's just too much stress. Like yeah. I want to be around someone like me who, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know? And I think, I, I think genuinely that's what people want. They want people that they can relate to. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about that, that relating to, because midlife is a time of, I think it's a fantastic time of shifting, of figuring out who you are, remembering who you are, having opportunities to go explore that, that we didn't have before. Um, And yeah, just that, that, I don't know, that, that chance to play and be silly and not take yourself too seriously. And take on those new challenges. And I realize there's not a question mark at the end of this, Allison, but. (laughs) Well, but that's interesting that you say that. So I, every week do a club kind of a get together. I'm learning again, I'm learning what clubhouse is. And a friend of mine asked me to come on. And this morning we talked about the importance of play. So Mm. it was funny that you said that. And this one woman, she's our age. She was like, she was walking at the beach and there were swings and she went on the swings and, you know, her teenage daughter was like, what are you doing? But you know what? She's like, I want to go on. She wants to go rollerblading. Like that's it. Right. We, I think we take ourselves so seriously. We forget how to play. And that's what I want to get back to in midlife. That's what it's about. It's just having fun. Well, and and how hard is that? Like we forget how to do that, but just how hard is it to just like, hey, go on the swings, be silly, right. skip across the parking lot. I don't know what it is, but just what whatever it is in that moment. And I, I kind of suspect that's why 
I, I don't have grandkids yet, but I suspect that's why they're awesome. Cause you get to go play with little kids and, and no one judges you if you're being silly with a little kid. Right. right. Exactly. Um, that's why I like to borrow my friends up the street. They're five right. and three and it's perfect. Yeah. Like I get my kid fixed. They go back. It's wonderful. <laughs> I know this has been in many ways, a lighthearted conversation, but we've covered authenticity, vulnerability, kind of stretching ourselves, taking on new identities and now, now play joy. And, and, and so I guess from, and and I know every client you have is different. Everyone that, that you interact with is different. But what are some themes that you are seeing that are ideas that help people get to that point where they, they can take on that challenge and play and not worry and take themselves so seriously? Well, I, I think, like I said, the, the one of the biggest things and one of my like main courses is called Shut the Fear Up because it is getting past that fear. And there's a couple of things I always tell my clients about that. First of all, write down your fear. I mean, how many times do you lay awake in the middle of the night thinking about one thing and all of a sudden it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger in your head? And then it just becomes all consuming. And when you get it down on a piece of paper, it certainly helps put it in perspective. But then it's also figuring out the what I call the if so, then what, right? Like, you know, Honestly, you may not believe this, but there are many women who are going through a divorce who they are scared to death they're going to be, end up homeless on the street. They really have that fear. And so we work through, okay, you know, if you run out of money, what are you going to do? And what I try to show them is there's always a plan. There's always, it's always figure outable. And so when you, when you calm down that fear and you can start looking at it from a pragmatic place, it becomes a lot easier. And then once that happens, then you can start imagining what if. Let's let's put the fear aside and now let's start imagining what's next in your life. What is possible? What is attainable? And you know, look, I I do have clients that are going through abusive situations and there there's a lot more to that of of dealing with personal boundaries and getting past that true physical fear quite frankly. But once you've been able to compartmentalize that and not make it so all-consuming, it allows the other side of your brain to start thinking forward. What do I want to come next? What, what options are opening up for me? And as soon as you can start dreaming again, life happens. It is interesting. So you mentioned just like writing it down, because I can think of times where, you know, I get something all worked up in my head and it's looping around and it's the biggest problem ever. And then either writing it down or just trying to explain it to someone. And then it comes out and I realize that like, oh, it's not really that big of a deal, even though I just spent six hours in the middle of the night worrying about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> that there is something about getting it out of your head. You're breaking out of that kind of doom loop we get going in our brain to realize that, yes, it may be an issue, but it's a solvable issue. It's not a life stopping issue. And, and, and so I, but I love the phrase you mentioned of, of getting to the point where you, where you can dream again, where, where you right. can kind of get past this and, and start thinking, well, what, what is it that I really want? Right. And, and so many people don't have the answer for that. And well, and I suspect so many just haven't even asked the question or anyway, I mean, we, we kind of start, started the conversation around there, like, Hey, you know, either afraid of the answer, haven't asked the question, don't know where to go with it. Worry about what it might mean if they actually got what they wanted. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I think, you know, and yeah. I think that's another thing. So many people 
I, I just ran a course called Confidence Equals Cash and teaching mm-hmm. women how to manage their money and not be afraid of it, right? Not, and, and not being, putting their head in the sand and forgetting about it. But so often, if you'll ask somebody, they'll say, I don't know, I want to make $50,000. Well, why? What, what, what does that give you? Does it give you peace? Does it give you joy? Does it give you adventure? What does that bring you? And it's when you start delving into what somebody really wants, that's when the magic happens, when they can really pinpoint what it is they want in life. How does a gentle listener do that? Like if they haven't thought about it before and we've, we've kind of been touching on it, but is there, do you have a process or, you know? Do. The first thing is to, I, I'm a big one on journaling. I'm a big one on journal because I can guarantee you, you'll look back in three years and say, I can't believe how far I've come. Mm. But the first thing is to write out, what does that perfect day look like? And it's, it's getting real, real specific of where are you waking up? Are you waking up in a condo, in a house, in an apartment? Where is it the beach? What's the weather? What do you smell? Who's with you? Like, where do you go once you wake up? What are you eating? Because as soon as you can start really honing in on every specific, you can start going after it. If you don't have a plan, if you don't, if you have some vague vision, nothing happens. You can't, you can't reach a goal when you don't know what that goal is. Well, it's very true. And now I know for, for some people, the idea of having a goal is concerning because then it limits other options. Like if I pursue this, then I can't pursue that. And it, I'm pursuing neither. So, but don't worry about that. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. Well, and, and as I said, I work a lot also with women who I, I, I help them in their businesses figure out their business strategy. And so often when I say, well, who's your audience? Well, it's this and this and this and this. And I'm like, no, you can't speak to everybody. You can you can eventually, but you got to have a clear, concise plan. And so it's the same thing with our goals, right? For last year, I had two goals, write my book and run the marathon. Did it. Okay, what's my goal now? And and you really do. You, you can't focus in three or four different directions. It's just not possible. And so I always talk about, it's like those New Year's resolutions, right? Everybody says, I'm going to lose weight. What's your powerful why? Why do you want to lose that weight? Because when you start having failures and setbacks and reaching your goals. If you don't have that powerful why, you're going to give up. So what's that powerful why? I think that's a lot of what gets pushed aside when we're dealing with, well, once we hit our 20s or, or, or whatever, and we, we we forget about our why or maybe maybe never fully fully developed it. And I, I, you know, I, I love that your goals were, were two things. They were two big things, but they were very quantifiable, right? Write a book. Did you? Yes. No. I mean, you totally know. And both of them are, are big and take work, but it's not the, I, you know, I need to figure out my life's purpose today. It, it, it was just some big, cool things that you want to do. And you had very, very strong whys, which you've already shared on why you want to do both those things. So anyway, I think that's a, that's a great reminder. We don't have to solve all our world world's problems, all our life's issues, but we have this great opportunity to start taking on some of those challenges that we've always wanted to do, been afraid to do, didn't know we wanted to do. And now we think about it and go, that actually sounds really cool. I would love to be able to say I did that. I would love to experience that. And I, I think, look, there are some logistical things. I mean, you know, when you were young, you may have wanted to play in the NFL. Okay, well, at 50 some odd, you're not going to play in the NFL. <laughs> However, 
Could you find a pickup game of flag football? Can you coach? You know, is there something that you can do? You know, what what was the feeling behind what you wanted to do? And how can you recreate that feeling in some way that is doable? We kind of start start wrapping up here. Want to just t- touch on the on the book a, a little bit more, if if you don't mind. And so, great title, daily inspiration. And you had mentioned that it was kind of kind of quotes you'd use to kind of motivate yourself and get get yourself going and sharing those with others. And so, let me ask you: you have a podcast, you have people you talk to. What has been the response, or what for you? Kind of what's been the best response? The coolest thing is to see clients who have just blossomed and to see the excitement. You know, whenever, like, again, when I talk with a client or when I see somebody on the street who's read my book, you know, to see them light up and see the possibility, that's what's so cool. You know, I, I said, like, I worked with a woman who had been physically abused. She's now gone on and she works for the Domestic Violence Crisis Center speaking. Like, that's cool. That's really cool. So I just, I adore when I see women, and I say this every morning to myself, I am so grateful that I can make a living at inspiring and motivating women to live their best life and to not be scared. Just freaking do it, man. Well, that feels like very much a mic drop moment right there, Allison. So if if people want to find you, you already mentioned the books on Amazon. Where else can people connect with you? So you can go to allison-jacobson.com. And that's one L-A-L-I-S-O-N-Jacobson, J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N.com. And you can find all of my resources on there. You can find me on Instagram at underscore Allison Jacobson. And you can join my Facebook group if you're a woman, Midlife Mavericks, Fabulous Fierce Females. And my book right now is only available on Amazon, but we are, we're getting into more places now. So I'm very excited. And this, I love having these kind of conversations. It's really cool. Yeah, they're definitely the best. It's always great to connect with people. There's a lot of downsides to social media we're talking about. And yet I've gotten to meet so many awesome people through social media that I can't be totally negative about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on today, Allison. This has been fantastic. Oh, thank you for having me.